Take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 20, if you would. Luke chapter 20, and I'm going to preach a message this morning. It's going to be a two-part message this morning, and then finish it this evening. And this message is going to be called, Beware of the Scribes. Beware of the Scribes. Now, a scribe is a person, back in, in the old days, they were a person or people, uh, that would uh, copy the Scriptures. They would take the Scriptures and they would copy that, and they would be the people who would copy the Scriptures. They'd be the people who would write down what the, the Scriptures said on a new piece of paper or parchment, and they would also teach the Scriptures. And as Jesus was there teaching and He was healing people, the scribes really didn't like Him. Isn't it interesting? The people who were responsible for spreading the Word of God did not like the one who the Bible calls the Word of God. It's an amazing thing. There was a battle back then, and the battle continues today. I'm going to continue our series today, and uh, this is our, our third week of this series, and then I've realized there's, I, I need to, after tonight, I'm going to need two more services to be able to, to, to finish teaching. We still can't cover all of it, but I want to finish teaching. So today, this morning and tonight, beware of the scribes, the people who are responsible for taking the Word of God and spreading the Word of God. Now, now modern day, we don't call them scribes, we call them Bible scholars, and modern day, they have degrees and people look up to them. And in fact, not only do people look up to them, but they refuse to question them, partly because they call themselves scholars, Bible scholars, and partly because they have degrees. And because of those things, a lot of Christians just think, well, because they have a degree and because they're a Bible scholar, they must know what they're talking about. Well, they are the same category of people that we're going to talk about today, and that is the scribes. Luke chapter 20, and look at verse number 19 is where we're going to start this morning. Luke chapter 20, verse number 19. The Bible says this, And the chief priests and the scribes. So you've got the chief priests. These are the religious leaders. These are the people in charge of the temple and charge of the synagogues, the religious leaders and the scribes. The people responsible for taking the word of God and copying it and spreading it and teaching it. The religious leaders and the people responsible for the word of God. That's who we're talking about. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. What was the parable? Well, verse number 9. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. Now, you remember what a parable is? A parable is that an earthly story. It's a story that you and I can picture that pictures or, or teaches a heavenly truth. It's hard for us to understand heavenly truth sometimes. So Jesus said, I'm going to tell a story that you do understand. I'm going to tell you about a vineyard. And I'm going to tell you about a gardener so that you can understand something really, really important in Scripture. So a certain man planted a vineyard. It's a parable. It's a story. And led it forth to husbandmen. Those are the people that take care of the vineyard. And went into a far country for a long time. Okay, so you have the setting here so far. You got a man who owns a piece of property. And he plants a vineyard on his property. 
And he leaves the country, but before he leaves the country for this business trip, he, he hires people to take care of his vineyard. He hires uh, farmers or he hires workers. Um, the Bible calls them husbandmen to take care of his vineyard. And he leaves, he goes to a far country for a long time. And at the season, now you got to understand who it is. This is Jesus. He's telling a story, but it pictures something for real. It pictures God. And it pictures how he, uh, he, he's, uh, he, he's got the, the, this earth and, and, and the people on this earth. And, and he's going to send his son to tell people about him. So you kind of got the story, what he's, what he's talking about. Verse 10. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandman that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. So the man who owns the vineyard sends a servant, and he says, I want you to give me the profits from, from the vineyard. You, you sold grapes from the vineyard. I want you to give me the profits from that, because the, the man who owns the vineyard wants the profits from the vineyard. The Bible says they beat him and set him away empty. That's a picture of the prophets. It's a picture of the people that came and, and preached uh, the Word of God, preached the Scriptures uh, specifically to the Jews at the time. They beat them. Um, they put them in prison. They mishandled them. They misused them. Verse 11, again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. They beat him. They mocked him. They shamed him. And they didn't give him what the owner of the vineyard sent him to get. He wanted the fruit from the vineyard. He wanted the, the profit from the vineyard. They beat him. They mocked him. And get out of here. We're not giving you any of that. Verse 12. Again, he sent a third. And they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Now, you know who that describes, right? That's talking about Jesus. I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. And wouldn't you think that that would happen? Here comes the son of God, the only begotten son of God into this world. And, and you would think they would reverence him. I mean, it's God. Not only is Jesus the son of God, you've got to understand this. He's not just a man that God lives inside. He's not just a good man. Jesus is God and man at the same time. The God who became man, the God-man, those all describe him not just a good man and not just a man with God inside of him. If you are saved, you are a man or woman with God inside of you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Jesus was more than that. Jesus is God and he comes to the earth and, and God says, you, you think the people will listen to him? Reference him, the creator of the universe steps onto the planet that he created, among the people that he created, and they killed him. They crucified him. They hated him. They mocked him. They beat him. They spat upon him. I remember reading somewhere, somebody said, if God wanted us to know about him, why doesn't he just come down and tell us about himself? Well, that's exactly what he did. I mean, think about it. That does make sense. If there is a God and he wants us to know about him, why doesn't he just come and tell us about himself? I mean, that does make sense, and I, I think that's a fair argument. But he did just that. That's exactly what he did. He came to this earth. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
And so we're talking about Jesus here, and the, the parable goes on. The Lord of the vineyard, verse 13, says, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son, and maybe they will reverence him when they see him. Verse 14, But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. This is, this is the heir. All of this vineyard is going to go to him. Let's don't just beat him. They said, Let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is telling what's going to happen to him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. Now that's the parable. You, you see the story, you see the pretend story, but you see what it represents. God says, I want, the, I want the eternal life to be presented to everybody. The Jews rejected Jesus. People, re, I'm sorry, rejected God the Father. They rejected the, the promise of the Messiah. And then Jesus comes. They reject him. They kill him. They crucify him. And God says, what do you think I'm going to do to those servants, to those husbandmen. He said, I'm going to destroy them. He shall come and destroy these husbandmen. Now you skip down a couple of verses to the verse we started with, verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him. They're mad. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. They were right. The people who rejected God, who rejected Jesus were the scribes. The people who are supposed to be taking the word of God and spreading the word of God and sharing the word of God refused and rejected the one who is called the word of God. But there's more to that. Keep going here in verse number 20. And they watched him. These are the scribes, the chief priests. They watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men. All right, that feign means to act, pretend. Just men means good men, righteous men. So they're, gonna, they're, they're sending spies to Jesus. They're going to act like they're good. They're going to act like they are followers. They're going to act like they're good men with good intentions. But they are not because you see there in verse 20, which is feign themselves just men, that they might, look at this, take hold of his words. Now, we know they wanted to take hold of Jesus. They wanted to crucify Jesus. They wanted to kill him, get him out of the sea. But what does the Bible say they wanted to take hold of? The scribes, they wanted to. They sent these men in. They pretended like they were good men so that they could, what does it say, take hold of his words. The scribes, the ones who are responsible for spreading the word of God, wanted to destroy the one who is the word of God. How? By taking hold of his words. You're going to find that's the very same thing that they're doing today. That they might deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? That's a pretty direct question. But he perceived their craftiness. He knew what they were up to. And he said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. 
And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they were like, uh... <laughs> we were trying to trip him up. We were trying to trick him into saying something like, no, don't give money to the Roman Empire. But he didn't say that because he'd have gotten in trouble with Rome. Or, or, yeah, go ahead and give money to the Roman Empire. He'd have gotten in trouble with the Jews. He didn't say either one of them. He was amazingly brilliant. He gives them this answer, verse 26, and they could not take hold of his words before the people. People are watching. We cannot. Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take his words and twist them. You ever see a news story where you could just tell they cut off part of what the person was saying to make it sound totally different than, than what they were saying? And like, like this. If I was to stand up here and say, let's see, I believe that everyone should not go to the bar this Friday night, right? And they take out the word not. And what, the, what it looks like is, I believe that everyone should go to the bar this Friday night, Right? You can, you can change their words. So what they're trying to do with Jesus, they're trying to take his words and twist his words to say something different than, than what he said. To, to make him look bad, to make him look guilty, to make the people not like it. But, but they couldn't do it in front of the people. They had to do it a different way. A little bit later in verse number 45, so skip on down, Jesus, so Jesus Answers the chief priests, he answers the scribes, he, he answers the Sadducees in verses 27 through uh, about, uh, about uh, 38. Then you get to verse 45. Then in the audience of all the people, Jesus said unto his disciples, look what he says about the scribes, beware of the scribes. Wait a minute, the scribes are the good guys. The scribes are the smart ones. The scribes are the Bible scholars. The scribes are the ones that we all trust. The scribes are the ones that are supposed to be taking the word of God and sharing it with the people and teaching the people. And Jesus just comes right out and says, beware of the scribes. Beware of the people that you are trusting to give you the word of God. Whoa, wait a minute. Is it because the word of God is wrong? No, it's because of the scribes. Well, why? He gives us a little bit more details here. Verse 46, beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes. There's some motives behind what the scribes are doing. And love greetings in the markets. They want to wear the special outfit. They want to be noticed. And when they walk through the markets, they want people to recognize them. Hey, there's the scribe. There's the scribe. They want to be noticed. They want to be famous. Beware of the scribes, for they desire, which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets. And the highest seats in the synagogues, and they want special treatment. And the chief rooms at feasts. But the Bible says these scribes, verse 47, which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. The scribes. 
the ones who are responsible for taking the word of God, copying it, writing it, sharing the word of God, the ones who are responsible for translating the word of God, the, word, the ones who are responsible for making sure that we can get the word of God to more people. And Jesus just comes right out and says, beware of the scribes because they're so full of themselves. They want fame. They want adoration. They want special treatment. They want people to look up to them, but you've got to beware of them. Beware I don't know what it means to you. To me, it means stay away from. What are some other times where you use the word beware? Well, beware of dog. If there's a beware of dog sign, I usually don't go into the yard. There's one family that came to our church in the very early days. They had a sign on their window that said, beware of dog. It had a picture of this Doberman Pinscher, you know, the cut ears and everything. It's like, ah, you know, drool coming off his mouth, slobber and everything. And I went into their house, they invited me over for dinner, went in, I said, where's your dog? They said, ah, oh, we don't have a dog. We just have the sign to keep people away from our house. But you get a sign like that, beware, I'm going to stay away from it. Beware of snakes. I'm definitely staying away from that one. Beware means to stay away from. Jesus is warning the people, stay away from the scribes. Scribes will make their deception look good. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 and verse number 27. Matthew 23 and verse 27. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar, um, it's, it's um, the, the same account, but now in, in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, 20, um, 23, verse 27. The Bible says this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres. That's a tomb, that's a grave which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Scribes, you that are responsible for taking the word of God and sharing the word of God, you have become like a painted grave. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. They want, scribes, listen, they want to make their deception look good. And they're doing a great job at that. They make their deception look good. Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Luke chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to go kind of quickly here. Luke chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're trying to make themselves smarter or look wiser than Jesus. Luke chapter 10 Verse 21, Jesus said in this, the Bible says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven, this is Jesus talking, and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for seemed good in thy sight. So Jesus is saying, God, I thank you that you have hidden the things of truth, hidden the things of Scripture from the wise, the scribes, the smart people. And Jesus is saying, even the wise, the smart people don't even know the truth. I'm going to share with you some statements by Bible version editors about the new versions of the Bible. 
I'm going to share with you a lot of thoughts about that. I don't know. We're going to, we're, I promise you, I'm not going to have time to give you all of it this morning, but I've got a lot to give you. And I want you to understand this morning that you need to beware of the scribes. You need to beware of the people in our day who say they are wise and say they are Bible scholars and have all the degrees, but they refuse the truths of the Scriptures, the same ones that Jesus would look at and say, you look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. You want to make your deception look good. You want to make yourself look wise, but you're ruining the truth. I want you to understand you need to beware of them. In fact... The NIV takes out this verse. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Isn't it interesting that it leaves out the entire verse saying that you shouldn't do exactly what it did? One of the editors of these uh, new, new uh, versions said this. Such religious leaders may be highly educated, but if they are not born again... Their judgment in spiritual matters is worthless and misleading. That was actually Lewis Sperry Schaefer that said that. Some of the scribes who have edited the new versions are unsaved people who are being used by Satan to deceive millions of people. You've got to understand that. I think you'll understand that a little bit better as we go through this. I'm going to give you proof that uh, some of the people involved, very deeply involved in the new versions of the Bible either are not saved or are so far backslidden they don't appear saved at all. I'll show you that. Some of the scribes who've served as editors may be saved people, but whose lust of the mind and pride of life have given place to the devil. What Lust of the mind, pride of life. They want to be famous. They want to do something that gets attention. You know, Peter spoke these words, and when he was talking, he was talking to Christians. There was a couple... Ananias and Sapphira. If a guy named Ananias ever comes to our church and he says, I want to marry this girl and her name's Sapphira, I don't know that I'm going to do the wedding. I just don't know that that's a good combination right there. But here you got Ananias and Sapphira. They come into the church and they say, we're giving this big offering to the church. They did give an offering, but they lied about how much they actually received. So they sold some lamb. And the Bible says they said they sold it for a certain amount and they were giving all of it to the church. But they didn't. They kept back some. Now God didn't tell them to give all of it to the church, but they wanted the fame. They wanted the notoriety. They wanted people to look at them and say, whoa, super Christian. Dun, dun, dun. That's not how you do it. How does Superman go? I forget. Super, there you go. Super Christian. All right. Um, that's what they wanted. Peter looks at them and he says, why hath Satan Filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. I believe they were saved. But they lied to the Holy Ghost. Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. I think that's the case in many of the new translations, the new versions. You, you may have people who are Christians who Satan has filled their heart to produce a lie. One writer said the new version translators are, in quotes, unconsciously preparing mankind for a world religion that is compatible with the new age. I'm going to give you so much material that will prove that to you over the, to today and then tonight. Another writer said this, the church has joined the new age in adopting the Hindu system called Guru Vada, in which knowledge by the teacher 
is exempt from critical analysis. Knowledge from the teacher, that's the scribe, that's the scholar, is exempt from critical analysis. That means I've got to accept whatever they say because they say they're smart. They got a degree, so they're a, they're a PhD in, in linguistics or in, in the, whatever it is, a Bible studies or whatever it is. So because of that, I've got to believe them. One man said this, how better to delude one's followers than to persuade them that they dare not think for themselves. Another said this, uncritical acceptance of whatever Christian leaders teach is the seeds of apostasy. You ought never just accept anything that somebody teaches, even me. It better check out with the Word of God. It better line up with the Scriptures. And if it doesn't, a lot of times what the educated people are saying, I heard one say this, his name is Mark Ward. I, I played some of his video whenever I taught this a couple of years ago. He said, the scholars have voted that these Bibles, these new versions are good. So because the scholars, a lot of scholars have voted that they're good, you should just accept that they are good. That's uncritical acceptance. Dr. Frank Logston was the co-founder of the New American Standard Bible. Listen to what he said years later. The co-founder. All right, there's two guys. There's the, there's the person who financed it, and there's the person who made it happen. Frank Logston's the one who made it happen. He said this, I must under God renounce every attachment to the NASV. I'm afraid I'm in trouble with the Lord. We laid the groundwork. I wrote the format. I helped interview some of the translators. I sat with the translator. I wrote the preface. I'm in trouble. I can't refute these arguments. It's wrong. Terribly wrong. The deletions are absolutely frightening. There are so many this is, him, this is the, the person who wrote the New American Standard Bible. Are we so naive that we do not suspect satanic deception in all of this? Upon investigation, I wrote my dear friend, Mr. Lockman. That's the, the partner, the one who provided the money. I wrote Mr. Lockman explaining that I was forced to renounce all attachment to the NASV. You can say... Listen to what he says. This is the co-founder, the one who formatted, the one who made the New American Standard Bible possible. He said this, you can say that the authorized version is absolutely correct. How correct? 100% correct. That is the one who wrote this other version of the Bible. I'm, I'm afraid I'm in trouble with the Lord, is what he said. He was one of the scribes. Calvin Litton was on the NIV committee. He said the translator's own interpretation may color the text or even misrepresent it. So here's what you've got. You've got people from all different faith groups. You've got Unitarian Universalists who are on the revision committees. You've got people from all different religions and denominations coming together. And do you think that they leave their religious teaching, whether it's right or wrong, do you think they leave their religious teaching behind when they come to translate and provide a new version of the Bible? No. Here's what they're doing. They're bringing their religious training with them and using that to influence the direction that this new Bible is going. I mean, think about it. If you are giving your life to promote what you believe 
and somebody asks you, hey, would you be one of the revisers of this Bible? We're going to change the words on this Bible, and we're going to sell it. And you think, I'm giving my life to promote this religion, and now I have an opportunity to help put the words into this new Bible. I think that's a great opportunity for me to use what I believe to change the direction that this new Bible is going. I'm going to give you some statements to help you understand that. Lewis Foster was part of the New International Version and the New King James Version committees. He said this, Each person has his own beliefs. These are bound to influence his judgment to some degree. If a person claims to be entirely unbiased, he's either fooling himself or trying to fool others. Neither the ancient scribes nor the modern translator can make decisions without being influenced by their beliefs. The objectivity of man has its limitations. No matter how accomplished the individual may be, he has blind spots and particular views. And he says this, study the translators as well as their translations. A change may be better understood by knowing the position of the translator. Whether they're biased, or sorry, whether they're based upon a shift in the theological beliefs of the translator. Ronald Youngblood was on the NIV committee. He said this, it may be true that at times the NIV translators have been guilty of reading something into the text. The editor of the NIV Concordance said this, Translations do evidence the theological convictions of their translators. Now listen to this. It is complex because of, first of all, individuals who favor one Bible over another for theological reasons. So you've got a Catholic who's going to favor certain words in the Bible over other ways of reading it. Because of what they believe. For example, a Catholic is going to try to work into this Bible that Mary was always a virgin. She never had other children and that she should be worshipped. That's part of what they teach. So try to work that into the scripture. So that's what it's saying. Um, Individuals who favor one Bible over another for theological reasons. But then there's also publishers. And the quote continues. Publishers. The publisher is the one who sells the Bible. They print the Bible and they sell the Bible. So there's individuals for theological reasons. And now there's publishers who promote one version over another. And this is his quote, at least partly for economic reasons. All right, that's fancy words of saying they promote this version because they're making money on it. Publishers publish Bibles to make money. D.A. Carson said this, some modern translations tend toward the heretical by virtue of the force of the presuppositions that govern the translation. I know I'm giving you a lot of big words here. Presuppositions. We already know this, so that means that, that the, the Bible ought to say this. The King James Version was wrong here, and I know that this other belief is right, so I'm going to change that. I, I shared with you last week how many times the word Jesus, how many times the word Christ, how many times Godhead were taken out of the new versions of the Bible. Those are presuppositions. For example, that, uh, that uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three different gods. The, I believe it's the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that. Others believe that. They take those presuppositions and they bring it in to, to this new version and they take out the entire verse about the Godhead. They'll change, and I'll show you some verses on this. Hopefully we... I have 24 pages of notes and usually I preach three. Right? So... I'm not going to keep you longer today. I'm just telling you, that's why we got to extend this into, into next week. There's just a lot, a lot here. John Burgeon was a defender of the King James Bible. He said this, They desired to make the Holy Scriptures witness to their own particular beliefs. 
Another man named Carr, C-A-R-R, that's his last name, said this. One must keep in mind that scholars are not perfect, and scholarly opinion changes often. Sometimes the adamant refusal to budge from the previous position is due to a need to maintain reputation. Once you say something, you've done this. Dads, you've done this. Parents, you've done this. You say something to your kids, and you realize that probably wasn't the best thing to say. And you're like, I'm not changing because I already said that. Anybody else ever been guilty of that one? Okay. That's what they're doing. They say, oh, we, 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 we said it should say this in the new version. But even though somebody proves to me that it ought to be different, I'm not changing because I need my reputation. There are two particular, and I'm going to wrap up with the introduction to tonight, okay? There are two particular men who are scribes. I listed several names here. Two particular men who are scribes that are responsible, or scholars, who are responsible for nearly every single new version of the Bible. Their last names are Westcott and Hort. Here's their entire name. Brooke Foss Westcott and Fenton, I'm sorry, Fenton John Anthony Hort. These two men took corrupted manuscripts. We talked about this last week. Corrupted manuscripts back to Clement and Origen, way back in Alexandria, Egypt. They took these corrupted manuscripts, the Latin Vulgate, the, uh, the Sinaiticus, the, Venati- the Vaticanus, and they took these and they... They uh, translated those into Greek instead of the Textus Receptus or the received text. I know I'm, I'm kind of getting way up there. But they took these, these, these old manuscripts that were corrupt and they added their opinions, their twisted theology. And I'm going to show you tonight how twisted their theology was. I'm going to give you a couple statements this morning, but most tonight. They added their twisted theology and made a new Greek manuscript. 1880, early 1880, 1881, I think, somewhere around in there, 1870s, they, they took the corrupt manuscripts, they made a new Greek manuscript, which almost all, I can't say all because I don't know for sure all, there may be one that isn't, but almost all of the hundreds of new versions come from this corrupted Westcott and Hort manuscript. Greek manuscript. It's not a manuscript. Uh, Greek text now. I want to show you just a little bit. These scribes. These are whited sepulchers. They're painted graves full of dead men's bones. D.A. Carson was the author of the King James Version debate. It was published by Baker Bookhouse, which also publishes several new translations. Here's what he said. He said, the theories of Westcott and Hort are almost universally accepted today. It is on this basis that Bible translators since 1881 have, as compared with the King James Version, left out some things and added a few others. Subsequential textual critical work accepted the theories of Westcott and Hort. The vast majority of evangelical scholars hold that the scholars, see that word there again, hold that the basic textual theories of Westcott and Hort were right and the church stands greatly in their debt. So the idea in mainstream Christianity is that Westcott and Hort gave us a better Greek text of the Bible. I'm going to skip a lot of what I'm going to share with you tonight. But tonight I'm going to show you that Westcott and Hort, um, uh, they started a club at Cambridge University. It was called the Hermes Club. 
Hermes, I guess, if you want to say it that way. Um, Hermes is a demon. I'm going to share that with you. And, and how they were involved in speaking to the dead, holding seances, and um, a lot of other really, really wicked things. I'm going to share just right now, and it will be dismissed, a letter between Westcott and Hort. It was not supposed to ever see the light of day, but it was found, and, and we realized kind of what was going on behind the scenes. These are the men that gave us the Greek text, that gave us these new Bible versions. And I'm going to finish with this. They said this, Strike blindly. Much evil would result from the public discussion. Talking about some of these clubs that they're involved in. I have a craving that our text, that's the Greek text that they're, that they're writing, I have a craving that our text should be cast upon the world before we deal with matters likely to brand us with suspicion. That's seances and ghosts and, and things like that. Um, d- demon worship, the occult. I mean a text issued by men who are already known for what will undoubtedly be treated as dangerous heresy will have great difficulty finding its way to regions which it might otherwise hope to reach, and whence it would not be easily banished by subsequent alarms. If only we speak our minds, what we're really thinking, we shall not be able to avoid giving grave offense to the miscalled orthodoxy of the day. So those people who believe that um, the King James Bible is the Scripture, that's what they're fighting against here, they're calling misguided orthodox of the day. Evangelicals seem to me perverted. There are, I fear, still more serious differences between us on the subject of authority, and especially the authority of the Bible. At present, very, men, very many orthodox but rational men, that's talking about themselves, right? I'm rational. When we talk about other people, they're weird, but when we talk about us, we're normal. That's just kind of the way it always is. Those men, they're perverted. The evangelicals are perverted. That, that's, that's you, probably, if you believe you have the Bible. The evangelicals are perverted, but at present, very many orthodox but rational men are being unawares acted upon by influences which will assuredly bear good fruit in due time if the process is allowed to go on quietly. I want to unpack that sentence for you. I'll, I'll stretch it out. I want you to listen, just listen to the sentence again. All right? At present, many orthodox but rational men. That means people who are religious, but they still think for themselves. They're still willing to believe in evolution. They're still willing to believe that maybe Jesus isn't God. They're still, they're rational. At the time, the 1800s, rational thinking was such a huge thing. And rational means it's got to be logical. There's no virgin birth. There were no miracles. God is, Jesus is not God. That, that's rational. That's what they're talking about. So there's people who are in the church that aren't so blinded by the fairy tales of Scripture. All right? These men are being unawares, acted upon by influences which will bear good fruit. Now, the good fruit he's talking about is actually not good. It's good for him. The good fruit that he's talking about is the people to put aside the scriptures they've had for hundreds of years and accept a new Greek text that's so perverted and so corrupted. And he said the reason they're going to be willing to accept it is because the influences that are being pushed upon them that they don't even know about yet. But because they're already questioning scriptures, rational, they're already questioning scriptures, we're going to win this battle. What were the influences 
of the late 1800s. They were evolution. Uh, origin of species was gaining ground. People were beginning to believe that modern liberalism, that is kind of what I, I talked about already, not believing the literal scriptures, not believing that Jesus actually was uh, born of a virgin, uh, it was God, is God, that he didn't really die. He didn't really rise again physically. That's, that's lib modern liberalism. And then spiritualism, the occult, Satanism, witchcraft, Wicca, Wiccan stuff, all that stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you those tied in here. All that, the astrology, all that was really rising. Popular thought at the time was gaining a following against the Bible. And in this letter between Westcott and Hort, they said basically this, we've just got to wait a little bit longer before we put our new Greek text out there. Because if we wait a little bit longer, people will be already influenced to change. I fear that a premature crisis would frighten back many into the merest traditionalism. If we, if we print this Greek text now, this perverted, corrupted Greek text, if we print this now, people won't be ready for it yet. We've got to let evolution take its work, spiritualism take its work, the occult practice take its work, modern liberalism. It's got to work in people's hearts. And a little bit later, then we can release our, our Greek text. And by the time they did, it caught hold. And we've got all these new versions of the Bible because of that. Now tonight I'm going to go in quite a bit deeper into these two scribes. Scholars. I believe this is the type of person Jesus was talking about when he said, beware of the scribes. Now why preach a whole message about that? I, told, I was talking to Josh this morning. I said, I don't really like preaching these kind of messages. I would rather preach entire messages. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to change. But here's what's happening. The Bible that we are preaching from is under attack. We've got to defend the Bible so that we've got something to say. This is what the Bible says. So I'm going to take tonight. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into beware of the scribes. Next week, Sunday morning and Sunday night, I'm going to show you from the different versions of the Bible the many doctrines that are being changed from the King James Version of the Bible that we've had for hundreds of years to these new versions, which almost entirely, almost 100% of them come from Westcott and Hort's perverted and corrupted Greek text. That'll be next week. Father, I pray that you would use the messages and uh, the, the teaching today and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make this big decision. I know that some of us are, are still struggling with it a bit, just trying to understand, trying to decide, what am I going to do about this? This may be new information for a lot of people, but we realize there is an attack on the Word of God. Even the scribes, when Jesus was walking on this earth, were trying to take His Word and twist it. The devil in the back, back in the Garden of Eden was taking Your Word and twisting it and changing it. Lord, help us to understand that there is a battle. Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to make the decision to uh, get a copy of your word, the, the scriptures that are every single word that we can trust. Lord, if there's one here this morning who's not saved, I know I didn't preach a message about getting saved this morning, but if there's one here this morning that's not saved, would you convict their heart? Lord, this morning I pray that you would bring them to you, pull them to you, help them to understand that you love them. You died for them, you paid the price for their sins. I'm going to ask the piano to play. Would you stand? Your heads are bound. Your eyes are closed. 
Would you thank God for His Word this morning? Would you thank God that He gave it to you? And then here's what I want you to do. Would you ask God to open your eyes to beware of scribes? Something like this. God, would you open my eyes to know what is right and what is wrong? If there really are scribes, Bible scholars, whatever it is, that are trying to pervert your word and change your word and and take your word away, help me to recognize it. Help me to know who they are. Help me to make wise choices in how I read your word. It's an interesting thing how once so many new versions of the Bible came on the scene in our country, how quickly our country has gone downhill. Have you seen, I mean, just look at the changes in our country since you were a kid. Just think back since you were a kid. Some of you are teenagers and you think, wow, I can even tell since I was a kid these changes. If you're 40, 50, 60 years old, you could think back and you could think, it sure was different when I was a kid. Morality was different. Uh, Just going to school was different. All these changes. You know, one of the biggest changes that happened was people traded in the Word of God for what the scribes were passing out what the publishers were marketing so they could make some money. Thousands of words, many verses taken out of these modern Bibles. Tonight I'll show you a little bit more detail on just how wicked the men were who gave us the Greek manuscript that nearly every new version comes from. I want you to miss that. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word about the scribes. Beware of the scribes. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to be wise, um, to, to um, be able to make the right decisions and right choices of which Bible am I going to choose, which one am I going to read from and study from and memorize, have in my home, bring to church, um, use to share the gospel with others. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom in that. Lord, thank you for New Heights Baptist Church. Thank you for all of our wonderful people sacrificial people, people that gave and gave and gave, people who today are exhausted from this week of serving others and serving you. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful people of New Heights Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them in a special way. I pray that you'd protect them. I pray that you'd keep them safe. Lord, we've got many who are out sick today still. I pray that you would give them health and heal them and bring them back to full service Uh, to you very, very soon. In Jesus' name, amen.